Thank you, Caitlin and Sarah, for all the students uh, that are stepping in, Nathan being out today and uh, stepping in, leading worship. What a great, great job. And uh, Mark, one of our college students as well, leading in worship up here. And we're blessed. You know, any church is blessed whenever you've got folks that God's given gifts and talents to, and they're willing to use those in the context of ministry. That is always a very, very, very good thing. Well, we're glad you're here this morning. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Acts chapter 25 is where we're going to be uh, this morning covering two chapters today. You know, you've heard me mention that as we've moved through the book of Acts, the closer we get towards the end, the faster we go. And there's a reason for that, not because I'm tired of being there. I love being in this book of Acts. We've been there for a long time. But uh, the further we go, it seems as though the blocks of Scripture get a little bit bigger, and uh, it's hard to just break them up into little bite-sized pieces. And so this morning, we're kind of looking at one big movement, one big experience that took place, and it covers two chapters there in the book of Acts. So chapter 25 and 26 or what we're going to go through this morning, looking at a message entitled High Impact People. If I were to ask you to name people that you would say are people of high impact, people that make a difference, the movers, the shakers, those that leave a mark behind in this country, uh, probably most of us would say the same names. You know, we'd name out from a financial perspective the Donald Trumps and all those who own half the world. We'd throw those names out because of the impact they make in the world of, uh, you know, concerning the economy or finance. Uh, business, for example, we would throw out the name uh, President Obama, not whether because he's a Democrat or Republican, but whoever fills that office of the uh, most powerful person uh, uh, of the most powerful nation in this world, we would say that's a person of high impact because of the position that they hold. And most of us would throw out the same names, you know, typically. If we could look across the scope of history, you know, we, we would throw out names as well that'd be much the same. Christopher Columbus, you know, a lot of the same. Uh, Johannes Gutenberg discovered the printing press, invented the printing press. Uh, a lot of those names we'd throw out there, the Edisons, the Einsteins. Why? Because they're people of impact. Their lives made a difference, and they're still taught today in history books around this country because they live lives of impact. But what if I threw a couple of other names out for you? What if I mentioned the name Tom Eliff? Anybody ever heard that name? Maybe a couple. What about the name Luis Palau? Anybody familiar with that name? Yeah, probably a few more, just like the first service, a few more, but most unfamiliar with those names. Tom Eliff is the leader of one of the largest mission-sending agencies in the world through the Southern Baptist Convention. Tom Eliff is a person that whenever a missionary is planted in a remote part of this world so that they go behind enemy lines, so to speak, they go to a country that's close to the gospel. When that missionary is planted, I'd be willing to say that Tom Eliff has an idea that they're there and that that decision to some point went through him. He is a person of extreme, extremely high impact because of what God is accomplishing through him spiritually. Luis Palau is known as the, uh, the South American Billy Graham. Really, his ministry extends much further than that. Uh, over a billion people have heard the gospel simply because of Luis Palau and his ministry through media, through events. There have been over a million recorded decisions for Christ directly attributed to his, to his ministry. He's a person of high impact, but very few people, even in Christian circles, have heard of him. So here's what we have to understand is that whenever we look at being a person of high impact, we have to step outside the realm of what the world typically looks at, and we have to run straight to the spiritual realm. And here's why. Because regardless of the impact of a person in the world of education, for example, they may create curriculum, they may make decisions that impacts the, the, uh, the uh, educational systems of our country or, uh, for decades, but the time is going to come when they die. Not to be morbid or to kind of start off on a sour note, but the times that have come when they breathe their last and more than likely their system is going to be adapted by somebody else. Within the world of finance, you look at the Donald Trumps and the others who own half the world, you look at the impacts that they make and the money they can give and the, the, uh, 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 the projects that they're able to fund and support, the day is going to come when they die. 
And the projects that they supported are probably going to ultimately phase out over time as well, eventually. We've seen it happen many, many times in the world of medicine, the world of science, the world of technology. The enormous impact that's made. Many of us are the benefactors, are the ones who, who benefit from, from those advances in science and technology and medicine. But the time's going to come when those who spearheaded those efforts are going to pass away, and the people they helped are going to pass away. That's why whenever we look at making an impact, a high-impact person has to look also to the spiritual component, because whenever we have an impact from a spiritual perspective, that impact outlives our days, and it goes through eternity, so it doesn't end. But also the thing we need to understand is that every single one of us right here today, right where you sit, regardless of your background, regardless of your education, regardless of your wealth or lack thereof, regardless of who you know or where you've been or what you've done, regardless of how long your list of I wish I could do this over in my life, regardless of how long that is, you have the capacity, you have the potential to be able to, to be a person of high impact. You can be a high impact person. You could be hip. <laughs> I made that up, right? High impact people. Yeah. You think it's crazy, but you'll probably remember that. You can be a high-impact person regardless of anything else in your life, and it all comes down to what you do with Christ. We're going to look at a couple of things that stand out this morning out of these two chapters, specifically in the book of Acts. Let me give you a little bit of background of what we're going to look at because we're going to see a perfect example, I believe, of what it means to be a person who is a high-impact person, and it's going to come through the life of the Apostle Paul. Well, at the end of chapter 24, if you remember, we left the Apostle Paul in, in, basically as a prisoner. He was captive. Remember, the, the Jewish leaders that were opposed to him and opposed to the gospel, they were, they were hot towards Paul. They were angry towards him. They wanted him gone. They wanted him dead. And if you remember, those Jewish leaders in chapter 24, they brought charges against Paul, none of them true. And Paul ultimately stood on trial, basically, before the Roman governor of that region. His name was Felix. Well, if you remember, Paul stated his case, but there was no decision made. Felix chose to leave him locked up at the end of chapter 24 for two solid years, even though he should have been free to go. And so at the close of chapter 24, Paul has now been in jail in Caesarea for two years. Well, ultimately, because of a poor decision that that Roman governor Felix would make, Nero would pull him back to Rome and would replace him with a fellow named Festus. Not the same Festus in the TV show Gunsmoke. It's a much different Festus, all right? I just missed a whole generation of people right there. It's like, who? Gunsmoke? What's that? Uh, uh, and he doesn't look anything like that Festus on Gunsmoke, hopefully as well. And so there's a new Roman governor, right? His name is Festus. He's going to only serve for two years from the year 60 to 62, and that's when he's going to die. But this new Roman governor, Festus, ultimately, in order to please the Jews, travels from his headquarters just three days after he takes over. All this is in the Bible. It's amazing what you learn when you read it. Whenever, whenever we see there in that passage, we see that he left after three days. He went right down to Jerusalem, and he wanted to appease the Jews. He wanted to get in on their good side because tensions were high. And so this Roman governor, Festus, goes down to Jerusalem from his headquarters in Caesarea, and he begins to meet with the Jews. And the first thing they bring to his attention, these Jewish leaders, Two years after Paul had, had, had been locked up, they said, hey, we want something done with this fellow Paul. They were still so, so hateful and angry towards the Apostle Paul for only sharing the gospel and making Christ known. And so what happens is, is that Festus decides that, that there would be a plan, that if they wanted Paul, he's not going to bring them down to Jerusalem the way, the way they wanted. See, they had an ulterior motive. In fact, look at what it says in chapter 25. Look in verse 2. You say, how mad, how angry, how hateful were these Jewish leaders towards Paul? Verse 2, 
It says, And the chief priests and the leading men of the Jews brought charges against Paul, and they were urging him, requesting a concession against Paul, that he might have him brought to Jerusalem. They're asking Festus to ship him from Caesarea, 65 miles to Jerusalem, at the same time setting an ambush to kill him on the way. I mean, these Jews wanted him gone. I mean, they were sick and tired of the Apostle Paul, sick and tired of the gospel, sick and tired of hearing about Jesus. And so they set up a plan for Festus to have him move down to Jerusalem where they were so that they could ambush him and kill him on the way. Well, Festus thought otherwise. Look down in verse 4. Festus then answered that Paul was being kept in custody at Caesarea and that he himself was about to leave shortly. Therefore, he said, let the influential men among you go there with me. And if there is anything wrong about the man, let them prosecute him. Here's what Festus says. He says, I'm not bringing him to Jerusalem where you are. If you want to put this man on trial, then you get the influential people among you. Let's call them the high-impact people, right? That's the same thing. You get the influential men among you, get the high-impact people, and you can travel back with me, and then you can try him. Now, it's interesting that this Roman governor who did not know Jesus Christ would see people as influential people. And here's what we need to determine right up front, is that if you're going to be a person of impact, you have to decide, are you going to be a person of impact from the world's perspective or from God's perspective? Because the two look vastly different. If you want to be a person of high impact from a world's perspective then you can go ahead and start doing all the things the world does and and continue to move up and up and up and up and get better and better and better at what you do. And there's nothing wrong with those things. But when they become the motivator of a person's life, the chief motivator and the sole focus of a person's life, then everything begins to spiral out of control. And so one of the best things that you can decide this morning is, uh, from whose perspective do I want to be a person of impact? From the world's perspective or from God's perspective? Because they often look much, much different. And so Festus says, you get the high influential people, you get the high impact people, and you take them with me to Caesarea, and if you want, we'll put Paul on trial. And so they travel back to Caesarea. Ultimately, they bring their charges against Paul. Paul stands up, he dismisses every one of them, they're not true. And then he throws a curveball. Paul says to Festus, this Roman governor, he says, I want to take my case to Caesar. <laughs> you know, it, it would be like you, you, run a, you run a stop sign, right? And you get pulled over from the officer, and he says, you ran the stop sign. He said, no, I didn't. Said, yes, you did. No, I didn't. Uh, it was a rolling stop. You know, you start, you know, I know you've never done that, never got a ticket for that, but you just kind of wrangle back and forth. And then it says, though, you say, officer, I want to go to the Supreme Court with this thing, right? It'd be the same thing. Well, the difference was, in Roman jurisprudence, you had the right to do that. It was called the principle of provocation. Paul, a Roman citizen, had every right to take his case straight to Caesar. At this time, that's not Julius Caesar, right? He died in 44 BC. You knew that from school. That Caesar was a term for the leader in Roman government, and that was Nero. Paul says, I want to go to Caesar. And so Festus says to Caesar, you'll go. And his hands are clean. Well, a few days later, there would be some special visitors to the city. Visitors that Festus knew well. It was a king. His name was King Agrippa and his wife, Bernice. She was also his sister. That's another sermon, perhaps, for another day. History tells us that. 
And so King Agrippa and Bernice come, and what Festus does, I hope I'm not losing you here, but this is two chapters we're covering, is that Festus begins to brief King Agrippa on the circumstances surrounding Paul. He said, man, you got to meet this guy. There's this fellow Paul. I I kind of inherited this case. Jewish leaders hate him. You know, I've heard the details, and I I just don't see anything there to it. But Agrippa, man, you got to meet this guy. And and he's explaining Paul's case to King Agrippa. In fact, just just look, if you will, and we'll see a little bit of what he shares. Look chapter 25. Look down to verse 18. He gives a brief discussion regarding the details of Paul's case. 25 verse 18. And so Festus tells King Agrippa about Paul. He says, when the accusers stood up, they began bringing charges against him, against Paul. Not of such crimes as I was expecting. But they simply had some points of disagreement with him about their own religion, about a dead man, Jesus, whom Paul asserted to be alive. Being at a loss how to investigate such matters, I asked whether he was willing to go to Jerusalem and there stay in trial on these matters. But when Paul appealed to be held in custody for the emperor's decision or for Caesar, I ordered him to be kept in custody until I send him to Caesar. Well, then Agrippa said to Festus, you know, I also would like to hear the man myself. Well, tomorrow he said, you shall hear him. And so the stage is set here for Paul to share his story with this king, King Agrippa. Are are you with me so far? Say I'm with you. Okay, that's good. Uh, Some of you lied. You're in church. You ought to be ashamed of yourself. All right, so here's Paul. If you missed everything else, here's the Apostle Paul. He's been in jail for two years. His case is being pushed off to Nero, to Caesar, right? But before he goes, this king, King Agrippa, who is very familiar with Jewish customs, is going to hear what he has to say. And so Paul does just like he did back in chapter 22. He begins to share his story for God's glory. Let me pull out some of the components of it. Look in chapter 26, verse 4. You got King Agrippa, you got Bernice. They've all come here. In fact, uh, they, they come in, in uh, great pomp and circumstance and with much uh, you know, fanfare. They, they've come in, they've made their entrance. Here's the king. And, you know, Paul comes and he's going to share his story. Look at what he says, chapter 26, verse 4. He says, so then, I'm just pulling out parts of it. He says, so then all Jews know my manner of life from my youth up, which from the beginning was spent among my own nation and and at Jerusalem. Since they have known about me for a long time, if they are willing to testify that I lived as a Pharisee according to the strictest sect of our religion, and now I'm standing trial for the hope of the promise made by God to our fathers, the promise to which our 12 tribes hope to attain as they earnestly serve God night and day. And for this hope, O king, I'm being accused by Jews. Why is it considered incredible among you people if God does raise the dead? So then I thought to myself that I had to do, do many things hostile to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Here's what Paul's doing, just like chapter 22. He's talking about what his life was like before Jesus was in the center of it. Verse 10, he says, and this is just what I did in Jerusalem. Not only did I lock up many of the saints in prisons, having received authority from the chief priests, but also when they were being put to death, I cast my vote against them. And as I punished them often in all the synagogues, I tried to force them to blaspheme and being furiously enraged at them, I kept pursuing them even to foreign cities. And so what Paul does is he begins to tell a story about what his life was like before Jesus was there. And his story is dramatic, but it's not unlike many of the stories that you have when you think about what life was like before Jesus was there. And you think about the hopelessness that inhabited your life. And you think about the decisions you made that you would take back if only you had something worth living for back in those days. And Paul lays out the details, and it was dramatic. But then he shifts gears, and he talks about how he came to know Christ. Verse 12, he says, While so engaged as I was journeying to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests, 
At midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shining all around me and those who were journeying with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew dialect, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and stand on your feet. For this purpose, I have appeared to you, to appoint you a minister and a witness, not only to the things which you've seen, but also to things in which I will appear to you, rescuing you from the Jewish people and from the Gentiles to whom I'm sending you. Listen to verse 18. What a beautiful picture of what God does when he saves us. It says, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light, from the dominion of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. And so what Paul does is that he lays out for this king, he tells him exactly how he came to know Christ. Hey, here's how it's happened. D- dirty, dusty road on the way to Damascus, papers in hand, looking to persecute the church. And all of a sudden, Jesus appeared to me, called my name, and it was right there on that spot that I gave my life to him. And then he shifts gears again, and he tells how his life was different. Verse 19, so King Agrippa, I didn't prove disobedient to that heavenly vision, but I kept declaring both to those at Damascus first and also at Jerusalem and then throughout all the region of Judea and even to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds appropriate to repentance. In other words, Paul says, my life changed that day and I've never been the same. And I left the high ranks of Judaism and I knew I'd never be a Pharisee ever again. And I knew I would never attain to the position of chief priest or, or, or one that the people in the Jewish ranks would look at as a person of influence. But I turned aside from all of that that day, and my life was changed because I gave my heart to Christ. I gave my life to Jesus. And ever since then, he sent me all around this world with one message, that Jesus saves those who come to him in, in, in repentance and faith. He'll forgive the life that's yielded to him. And it was a very simple testimony, and you would think that they would be sniffling and, Paul, that was great. You know, and you'd think there'd be a king named Agrippa there on his knees and Festus the governor there on his knees ready to just say, I want this same Jesus, right? I mean, this is moving stuff. But we find out what their response was. Look at what Festus did, verse 24 and 25. He says, while Paul was saying this in his defense, Festus said in a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you mad. Let me just ask a question. How many of you have, have, have encountered Christ? You've given your lives to Jesus Christ. He has made radical changes in your life. Yes, you've got a long way to go. Yes, there are areas of your life that you've not arrived in yet. But God is at work in your life, and yet you have family members that think you are just flat nuts. Can I just see your hand? Well, look around. for Raise them up high. Just look around. I mean, they may think you're nuts for other reasons too, but... <laughs> Yeah, that same principle still applies. Is that not everybody is going to be ready to throw a party because of what God's doing in your life, but it's still no reason to be silent. (laughs) Look at what the next response was. King Agrippa, you know, he heard the same story. Look down at verse 27. Paul says to King Agrippa, see, he knew Agrippa had a, had a, a framework there where he understood Jewish customs. And he says in verse 27, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you do. In other words, he's almost begging him, you know what I'm saying is true. You know the prophets that point to a Messiah. You understand what I'm saying. Verse 28, and Agrippa replied to Paul, in a short time you will persuade me to become a Christian. And yet there is no evidence anywhere in the New Testament that Agrippa made the decision to ever give his life to Christ. And how we should shudder to think that if he never did, he was this 
close to heaven and missed it. With that, the close of chapter 26, Paul is put on a ship. We'll pick it up in a couple of weeks. And he sets sail towards Rome. Imagine him chained in the hold of that ship as a person of impact that this world had never witnessed outside of Christ ever before. You know, there's a principle there that I believe holds true. That when we look at the, the testimony and the impact of Paul, how the people that day missed that it was the Apostle Paul who would be the one responsible, solely responsible for untold thousands, if not millions, inhabiting heaven today. Do you realize because of the ministry of Paul, because of the words he spoke, the three missionary journeys that he took, and then still today you're holding in your lap a leather-bound book containing the letters that he wrote word for word, the impact of this man's life directly can be attributed to millions, I believe, of people that are in heaven today because of the impact of his life, and there he is chained up at the bottom of a ship and nobody even cared who he was. Let me give you a principle that's going to hold true for every single one of us, I believe. We're not the Apostle Paul. There's nobody else that's going to be just like him. God doesn't expect us to be, but the principle still holds true that the intensity of your impact is determined by your closeness to Christ and by the surrender of your life to his lead. The intensity of your impact as a Christian, if you want to be a person of high impact, that intensity, the intensity level of your impact is going to be determined, I believe, by two things as a Christian. One, the closeness of your walk with Christ. And number two, the surrender of of, of your life to his lead in every detail. You say, Brooks, why is it so important for us to be, for us to be people who walk closely with Christ? Here's why it's important. It's because if I don't spend time with God, and if I don't press in close to him on a daily basis, then whenever people rub shoulders with me, the best they're going to get is Brooks, and Brooks won't get you very close to heaven. I can absolutely promise you that. And if I'm not spending time with Christ, my mind is not going to be transformed the way God wants it to be by just dabbling with Jesus here and there whenever it's convenient. I'm not going to be transformed in the decisions that I make so that I see life and challenges and temptation and victory and defeat and all the things that life throws my way. I'm never going to see those things from God's perspective if I'm not walking daily with the person of Jesus Christ. It is only a matter of time before I make a decision that will wreck my life, before I, before I go places I don't belong, before I do things I don't need to do, if I'm not walking daily with the person of Jesus Christ. Here, here's the problem for many of us, is that somehow we feel like, and I have no idea why, but we feel as though we can make it on less today than the apostles and the leaders of the first century church did 2,000 years ago. And somehow we'd never say it, but we live our lives as though it's completely true that I don't really need to be in God's Word every single day. I don't need to be praying over big decisions in my life. I don't need to be that close to Jesus to be able to make it. I mean, I've been okay all these years, right? Just a little bit of Jesus is enough, and I'll come to Him when I need more of Him. And we wonder why we're not making an impact in this world in which we live. You know, Paul understood, I can't make it in this world. These people will wring my neck, and if I'm not walking closer with Christ, I will throw in the towel and I will quit on this thing long before Jesus calls me home if I'm not walking closer with him. Why? Because daily walking with Christ gives us encouragement, gives us strength, gives us perspective, gives us wisdom, gives us everything we need to be the people that God created us, it, to be. 
and we're not reaching people, we're not impacting people, and family members are dying without ever even seeing Christ in our lives, and work people in our workplaces are, are, are not hearing of Jesus, they're not seeing any difference in our lives. Why? Because we're not spending time with Him. We're just living life the best we can for ourselves. And so how's your time with Jesus? Is it daily? Is it consistent? I'll, I'll just, uh, let me just, let me say this, just to give you some perspective as though I've got this whole thing figured out. I'll be honest, man, my time with God has been very challenged. If I can be transparent for a moment, it's not anyone else's fault but mine, but life gets a little busy, doesn't it? And the first thing the enemy will cause you, well, I shouldn't blame it on him, it's our choice. But one of the first temptations is that we sacrifice our time with Christ for other things that are more pressing at the moment. And we never come back. And when I had my surgery, as minor as it was, and all I could do was watch about 400 hours of March Madness, I actually got sick of basketball. I didn't even know that was possible. I would have my quiet time. And I'll be honest with you, I told my, my buddy, my accountability partner this past week, that I would be excited for the next day when I could have that time with Jesus again for the next day's devotional. And that had lacked. Just being honest. You need that time. You can't make it. I can't make it without that time every day. People of high impact walk closely with Christ. They spend time with Him every day. But the other aspect is that we live lives that are surrendered, just like it says. Every aspect, every area surrendered to His lead in our lives. I hope you'll, I hope you'll hear this. This is why living lives that are surrendered in every area are, is so important. Is that we will rarely have impact for the cause of Christ if there are things in our lives that matter more to us than Christ. Does that make sense? If you got stuff in your life, it may be work, maybe money, maybe relationship, it may be whatever it is. It may be good in and of itself. They usually are. But if there are things in your life that exist that mean more to you than Christ, just hang up ever having an impact for Him. It's not going to happen. And if it does, don't get too comfortable because it will be rare that it'll happen again. You see, it's the life that's surrendered that says, God, you've blessed me beyond compare, but I know these things are yours. And so I have them open-handed. <laughs> it's not closed fist. This that you've poured into my life, these blessings, these things that you've given, talents, people, positions, whatever it may be, Lord, I hold them with an open hand. They're yours, surrendered. And what we find is, is that when Jesus is in his rightful place, place of supremacy in our lives and we're spending time with him every day and he's molding and shaping us we tend to make an impact on people around us you just heard a story for this baptism that is a perfect example one couple that took in another person who needed a place to stay and heaven has one more let's just be honest because of jesus that was shown we were at Fred Wessels yesterday. The Fred Wessels community pulled it together in six days because it got rained out last weekend. Probably had 30 people from our church show up. I know of one that prayed to receive Christ there. 
countless others that saw Jesus. They were served in the name of Christ. And they went home with something to think about because people walk with Jesus and surrender things to him. You want to be a person of impact? You can leave here being that person as a believer, as a Christian, if you choose to walk closely with him and if you choose to surrender everything to him. Let me just show you one thing and we're done. You know, it's interesting the contrast that we see in this passage. If you look in chapter 25, verse 22, I want to take you back to something that I've already explained briefly. Two minutes and we're done. You know, I've already explained how King Agrippa wanted to hear from the Apostle Paul. And so he came in and there was much uh, celebration and, and uh, you know, horns were blowing and banners were being unfurled. Look at what it says in chapter 25, verse 22. Chapter 25, verse 22, it says, Then Agrippa said to Festus, I also would like to hear the man myself. Tomorrow he said, You shall hear him. And so on the next day, when Agrippa came together with Bernice amid great pomp, and he entered the auditorium accompanied by the commanders and the prominent men of the city, the high-impact people of the city, at the command of Festus, Paul was brought in. You know, imagine that scene. You know, here comes King Agrippa, and the flags are being unfurled, and the bands are playing. The Bible says it was with great pomp. I mean, this is regality. This is uh, him coming in all of his glory, and the city's coming out to see him probably, and just to get a glimpse of, of him as he passes by. And all of this unfolds. And as Luke writes the book of Acts, and the Holy Spirit is giving him the words to use, he gives him a simple Greek word that you've got translated in your Bible as pomp. Pomp and circumstance, pomp, right? You just read it. And the Holy Spirit gives Luke the word fantasias. It's a Greek word that means fantasy. In other words, when God looked down and he saw this king coming in in all of his earthly glory, all he could say is, it's fantasy. It's farce. <laughs> it's meaningless. These people clamor to be near this king but it's just a fantasy, so far removed from reality. Almost as though God would say, you want to know the real man of impact on this scene? It's the one in chains. Because he walks with me. And he surrendered to me. That's can be, that can be you. You don't have to be Billy Graham. God only made one, didn't need another, so he made you. <laughs> right? Psalm 139 says, you're fearfully and wonderfully made. If God wanted another Billy Graham, if he wanted another Apostle Paul, he would have made one, but he didn't. He made us. And there are people in your life that God will bring across your path that need to be impacted for the cause of Christ. And he's given you gifts and he's given you talents. He's changing your heart. He brought you to Christ and salvation. And now today, he stands ready to see, are you going to walk with me so that when they rub shoulders with you, they rub shoulders with me? And are you going to be surrendered to me so that nothing else comes between your life and them? And so are you ready? to be a person of high impact just walk with him surrender to him and he'll let your life make a difference in ways that will last i promise you forever let's pray lord your word is um, just amazing you know we read passages like this in the book of acts two chapters just a long running story and yet we come back to a theme that we've seen all the way through from chapter 1, it seems, is that you are a God who moves in the lives of people surrendered to you. And Lord, here in this place today, I can look out across this, this, this crowd this morning and see nothing but sheer potential 
of Christians that know you, that if they are spending time with you and yielded to you, you will open doors, you will give boldness, you will present opportunities so that they can make a difference in the lives of people around them. And Lord, some of the people will dismiss what they have to say, and they'll dismiss the lives that they live just as Festus did, thinking Paul was insane, but there will be others that will consider and just may have eternity changed because of how they see Christ and hear Christ through their lives. And so, Lord, help us to place a priority on walking with you closely every day, of surrendering everything to you, knowing that you're not a father who wants to take away those things that are surrendered. Many of them you'll let us keep, but, Lord, you will put a twist to them that puts you on display. And then, Lord, for those that don't know Christ, that are here this morning, what a great reminder that you stand ready to transfer them from darkness to light, from sin to forgiveness, from death to life, if they'll just simply turn from their sin and receive Christ, surrendering themselves to Jesus to be forgiven and giving themselves to Him as their Lord. And so bless now our decisions, we pray, God. Be glorified through these choices we make. Let us not just hear this and leave, but hear and respond for Your glory. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.